Live from WNUR News, I'm Brandon Kondritz. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM, HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, one last look at the infamous Evanston Burger King, an investigation into NU's The Nutcracker, tips to stay positive during the winter weather, and the latest installment of Fairweather Friends. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. The Burger King on Orrington is officially gone. Reporter Sarah Cadora offers one last ode to the late-night Evanston staple. Some Northwestern students living off campus have had trouble sleeping recently. So honestly, I think the noise is like one part of it that's been frustrating, especially early in the mornings. But like probably as bad is that like the apartment like shakes, which is crazy. Um, so like sometimes I wake up and my bed is like like in in motion. Um, and it's like like low grade earthquake. I mean, I've never been in an earthquake before. I couldn't really say, but that's how I imagine an earthquake to be is the way my bed moves in the morning sometimes when I'm waking up. That's Will Clark. He lives next door to a lot under construction, across the street from the clock tower and Rebecca Crown Center. His neighbors, a development company based in Texas, are building an 11-story office building. It's part of the city's effort to rejuvenate the economy post-pandemic. But until a few months ago, the lot held a relic of Evanston's late-night history. For more than 40 years, the Burger King restaurant at the corner of Clark and Orrington was a frequent stop for Northwestern students. Sawyer Sad is a senior who says he felt a little betrayed when BK shut its doors. I feel like that Burger King was a staple for me. And I went there at least in the very short time that we were here before the infamous, the infamous pandemic that sent us off. I frequented that establishment on the weekends and it was a source of stability for me. And nothing else was open. And nothing else was that affordable either, because you can't go, now living off campus as a senior, I still don't eat out a lot. Yeah, if the Burger King was still there, I feel like that would be by far my number one place to go, especially for late night eats, especially for, you know, a quick bite in between classes. It was a cultural, it was a it was a landmark too in a college town walkability affordability and carb content are key ingredients for late night eats they put burger king squarely at the center of a lacking college town bk closed its doors for good in december 2020 part of a wave of evanston businesses closing at the beginning of the covid-19 pandemic but with pandemic restrictions keeping most of us home in 2020 This year's Northwestern seniors are the last to have gotten a taste of BK's glory days. So with help from the Daily Northwestern archives, here's one last salute to the king. The Orrington Burger King opened its doors in 1976, with an opening week that exceeded sales expectations. Students were excited. The Evanston City Council was not. At the time, Evanston was notoriously anti-fast food, calling the buildings unsightly in their nature. 
The company that applied for a permit to open the BK franchise also owned a steakhouse chain. According to the city, they failed to specify that it would be a Burger King, not a fancy steakhouse, occupying the lot. The city felt bamboozled, but both sides settled for a workaround. BK would continue to operate so long as their employees did not bag the food. All customers received trays with their orders and could bag their food themselves if they wished. The solution lasted until at least 1985, when BK applied for fast food status with Evanston Zoning Board. Late-night eateries came and went, but through the decades, BK stood strong, operating just feet from campus, cashing in on the late-night crowd. In 1992, BK was in the heat of a face-off with a McDonald's down the street. In the face of Mickey D's high-tech option to order ahead via fax, BK began offering complimentary popcorn, which you could snack on while you waited for your food. In 2005, BK was an early Evanston restaurant to install wireless net, one student raved, if it was late and I needed to study, and I was really hungry, and there was nothing in the fridge, I would go there. This next article was an op-ed, written by then-editor-in-chief of The Daily, Brian Rosenthal. Today, Brian has a Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting at the New York Times. But in 2011, BK was on his mind. Quote, over the past four years, I have been a reliable BK customer, offering my business dozens of times at all hours of the day. Until now, I was recently betrayed by the restaurant I love. It was 4.10 a.m. and I was hungry. We'd just finished an especially late night at the paper, and a couple other editors and I decided to drown our sorrows with some nuggets and a buck double at Old Reliable. I turned to the cash register happy to be alive. I'm sorry, said the suddenly not-so-friendly man behind the counter. We're closed. Closed? I asked hesitantly. Yes, the man answered. I stopped, unable to move. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. BK never closes. That's common knowledge, ingrained in the memory of all associated with NU. But I was faced with the cruel reality, and I couldn't do anything about it. I understand that BK's daily half-hour closure between 4 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. gives them the opportunity to clean the grills and wash the floors. But seriously, nobody expects cleanliness from BK. After a moment of paralysis, I shrugged, turned around and left, shaking my head. Everything I'd known about the world, it seemed, was wrong. Unquote. There was one day where I was waiting for a full hour to place my order there, and it was because the people behind the cash register were playing uh, that iPhone game. Yes, it was the trash that you would flick into the trash bin. They were doing that iPhone game, but in real life, and they were actually handing customers in line uh, crumpled up receipts that you could throw into their waste bin across the order counter. And that's why it took an hour to place my order, because everyone got was really, really into it. Um, but it was fun. Um, and that was probably at the hour of one or two in the morning. So it was, you know, but a, but a core memory, nonetheless, core memory of freshman year. I was unfortunately never at Northwestern when the Burger King was like open, which 
like is something I'll like always be sad about because my connection is just that there's no late night food in Evanston and there's also like no affordable food in Evanston and I've been very sad knowing that like I never lived here in like the era when there was like one place. I was introduced to chicken fries, the concept of chicken fries at that Orrington Burger King. It was really important for me. <laughs> I didn't realize that chicken could come in a fry form. Um, it's really beautiful to me. Thank you, Burger King. On behalf of generations of Northwestern students, thank you. For WNUR News, I'm Sarah Cadora. Moving on to arts and entertainment, to kick off winter quarter, Eight Counts Ballet Company, a new student-run group, premiered a rendition of The Nutcracker. While the production offered dancers a creative outlet, John Ferrara spoke with sources who report turbulent and frustrating practice conditions under the direction of the show's executives. Here's the story. Northwestern's Eight Counts Ballet Company recently put on a performance of the Nutcracker, a Christmas time favorite. For the uninitiated, the Nutcracker is a fairy ballet, which follows a young girl, Clara, whose imagination takes her on a whimsical Christmas adventure. The play is one of the most enduring, well-loved examples of dance on stage. Eight Counts boasts that it's the only ballet company on campus, but interviews with members from the Nutcracker evidence that its one-of-one -one status enables the company to put too much a burden on the dancers and musicians it brings into the mix. In an anonymous interview with a leading member of the cast, who feared that a public discussion would lead to her receiving poor castings down the line, I got a better glimpse into what exactly happened in the lead-up to the production. The source told me she knew she'd be in the performance by mid-October, but that the producers only hosted two practices before winter break. For context, the Nutcracker premiered the first weekend students were back on campus. That's a quick turnaround to only practice twice before Christmas. In those two pre-break rehearsals, the source had learned what she estimated was just 60% of one of her dances. In the other practice, the cast had a walkthrough that was, quote, very rough, end quote. The producers also told the cast they'd rehearse via Zoom over break, which did not happen, according to the source. The source I spoke with says she realized the show was in trouble when she got an email from the producers the night before winter classes started, saying Tech Week, a laborious four hours a night process, would begin the next day. In none of my interviews did any cast member take personal issue with the show's executives, who are fellow students. They did, however, express dissatisfaction in how students were asked to prepare for the show. My first source also told me that cast members were asked to learn almost everything in the four days leading up to the show. Heading into Tech Week, the source says she didn't know a single part of Act 1. And according to the source, the worst part about the running of the show wasn't just a lack of preparation, but the, quote, really chaotic management of time, end quote. Cast members were reportedly asked to sit on standby, often for three to four hours, just to get called for a small and awkward walkthrough. That same cast member told me, quote, I was really excited to join a ballet production, and I understand the main goal of the company is to accommodate a wide range of people, but it went too far. It made me seriously question whether I wanted to do a production ever again, end quote. The directors were clear in their pre-show speech that their rendition featured many first-time ballet dancers. Despite some hiccups, the quality of dancing was quite high.
Another bright spot in the show's production was the live orchestra. While the group of percussionists, brass, and wood players nailed their notes, their lead-up to the show was no more enjoyable than that of the casts. At least, that's according to an orchestra member who wished to remain anonymous for the same reasons as the last interviewee. Though more than any dancer earned, orchestra members each received just $100 for their time. My second source told me the orchestra's practice likely totaled 35 hours. That means their $100 payments would have averaged out to around $2.36 per hour. The source said they were told they'd be paid for their performance, but weren't told how much until they were weeks into rehearsal. They told me that they, along with many of their fellow orchestra members, wouldn't have taken on the time-consuming activity had they known all they were going to get was $100. Granted, the nature of a student-run production is that it is low-budget, but still, some band members said they feel like their time was disrespected by the show's managers. The source told me the orchestra was asked to, quote, keep adding things and then taking away things after practicing on those pieces for a while, end quote. They told me their experience was a bad one and wouldn't do it again. They said, quote, it was so disorganized and the show's directors had no respect for us and they treated everyone like children, end quote. Eight Count's production of The Nutcracker successfully shined a light on the abundant talent of Northwestern's artistic community. The issue lies in the experiences of the dancers and musicians involved in the whole process. The performers I spoke with told me they want a more transparent and detail-oriented production team in coming shows. They all said in some capacity that Eight Counts is simply missing accountability at the top. The company hopes to have a shot at a redemption in its next production, assuming enough people want to come back to participate. For WNUR News, I'm John Ferrari. Winter quarter means colder temperatures and grayer skies. But through it all, Northwestern students find ways to brighten up their lives with sparks of joy. Michelle Huang has the story. Dear Northwestern students, snow is on the ground, gray is in the sky, and gloom is in the air. The harsh cold of the winter quarter isn't exactly a fun time for anyone. Sometimes it's a challenge preventing yourself from getting swept up in all the seasonal darkness. It's so hard and it's cold here, but Northwestern students find ways to hold on. We find the things that uplift us, the things that brighten our moods in dreary weather. Borrowing from the KonMari method, we find the things that spark joy, which could be Whole Foods tiramisu, that was Anita Lee, a sophomore studying journalism. She finds joy in the $5 slices of tiramisu sold at Whole Foods. But it's not just about the layers of coffee, cake, and cream. Giving yourself an exact thing to do as an act of self-care is, I think, is really nice. Like, or your only intention with that activity is to take care of yourself and to be happy. Along similar lines of self-care, but in a bit of a different way, a spark of joy can also come from some cardio. Specifically, there's one SPAC class that brings the serotonin, work with a Q. Sophomore Emily Amesquita, a Weinberg and Beanen dual degree student, explains. Uh, top 40s cardio hip hop dance class, which 
is not about perfection or even being good at dancing at all. It's just about having fun with what you're doing and expressing yourself in a way that is not academic or anything that involves stress. And I've really enjoyed making time for this. It's a similar story for Weinberg freshman Ronaldo Teneo. Um, I think like something that's been like sparking a lot of joy just because I've been doing it more frequently is dancing. And yeah, I just like realized like dancing is like a way for like for me to really decompress and de-stress. Like it's really like just like one, two hours that I really get to like take everything away and just kind of like focus on one. Others like Weinberg Jr. Lena Cho choose to embrace the moody weather. Uh, so I think especially um, like in the gloomy weather these days, uh, I think I find happiness in listening to music and kind of matching the weather. So I'm like vibing to the music and it feels like I'm like, like enjoying the vibes. And for Medill sophomore, Annie Sha, home is where the happiness is. I think this quarter what's been nice is just that my dorm room I think it's really comfortable. Like it's very cozy. We have rugs and we have like pillows and carpets. So it's just really nice coming back and turning on the lamps and just lying on my rug. There also seems to be an affinity for warm drinks in the winter. Usually I, I get cold very easily. So I like um, getting something hot to drink, whether that's coffee or tea or something. That was Philip Liu a second year studying communication studies. His sentiment is echoed by Weinberg freshman Yiju Chue. Uh, my spark of joy is drinking hot chocolate because it's sweet. So <laughs> psychologically, the sweet makes me quite happy. A spark of joy could stem from just five minutes of a student's day. Hi, my name is Michelle Sheen. Um, I'm a freshman studying journalism. My spark of joy or what helps me when I feel a little down is by writing in my gratitude journal or my five minute journal, which I write in every day. And it helps me find some kind of positivity in my day and just makes my day better overall. A spark of joy could also be building a snowman, working on your crochet project, sunrise yoga, plex soft serve. Joy may also be closer and simpler than expected. According to Weinberg sophomore Hana Lei Ji, honestly, I think what sparks joy when things are more dreary out is just like human connection and like your friends and also family, even though they're far away, having those connections and like moments, even though everything outside is so gray, like even inside or just like outside, having um, those like moments with your friends are really nice. So, fellow students, let's find our sparks of joy. And in the face of wind and snow and gloom, hold tight to them this winter quarter. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.20 p.m. Central Time. Ah, snow. You know that white puffy stuff that's falling outside your window? Wonder if there's going to be any more coming soon? WNUR News' own Nick Song and Helen Bradshaw have got you covered with this week's edition of Fairweather Friends. 
Before we start the segment, we'd like to offer our condolences to the Southerners, the Southwesterners, and anyone else who lives, well, not in the North. We know this time may be hard for you. We're in the midst of the season's first real snowfall, and while we can all acknowledge it looks beautiful, it's also so freaking cold. We want you to know that we're right here for you, both as a shoulder to cry on and as a mouth complaining in your ear. Because after all, this, this is, is Fairweather Fair Friends. Who's the weather? To get us started, here's Helen with what you can expect this week locally in Evanston. Hi, Nick. This is Helen, live from outside of my house. I can confirm that it is windy, cold, and generally really unpleasant. Oh, come on, Helen. Give us a little more than that. Please, I'm so cold. I want to go back inside. No. Read the forecast. And please sound pleasant. It's not fair for the listener. Well, remember two weeks ago when the weather was in the 50s? Yeah, it's not happening anytime soon. Temperature highs will continue dropping down into the 20s through till next week. As for this weekend, you don't need my impending frostbite to tell you that it's going to be snowy. Be prepared on Saturday to see one to three inches. Um, I don't think you can actually say that on air. <laughs> There's a fair chance the snow will keep falling Sunday and Monday, so any drivers out there, please be careful. Just say one more thing, please. It looks pretty, pretty cold, and it also doesn't look like that's changing anytime soon. Thank you. You may go back inside now. Oh my god, I can't feel my toes. While Helen's taking off her Canada goose parka, let's look at the rest of the country. Like we said up top, the North is undergoing an extreme freezing event caused by a fast-moving storm system. States across the Midwest and Upper Plains should expect cold temperatures and a few inches of snow. The event should stay localized to the North to around the Ohio Valley. Like a stone wall, a ridge of high-pressure air over the southeast will stop the storm from progressing. Okay, I'm officially back and warm. You didn't make any weird Civil War jokes while I was gone, right? Uh, nope. Good. I got a hot bath running, so let's wrap it up. Ooh, samesies. What? Why are you cold? You told me earlier you didn't even go outside at all today. I'm a very stressed individual. This? This is Fairweather Fair Friends. Friends. Ugh, it actually gets so cold out there. <laughs> Taking a look into the headlines, Evanston's Main Street Starbucks voted to unionize yesterday. In a 12-0 vote, the 519 Main Street location is the city's first to do so. Employees announced their petition to vote in December, joining a nationwide movement citing concerns of inadequate staffing and pay. The Evanston-Skokie School District 65 has partnered with the Chicago Therapy Collective to provide LGBTQ support groups for community members. LGBTQ staff and families with LGBTQ students will be able to join monthly Zoom meetings to speak about their experiences, share resources, and build community. A Chicago food bank is expanding their services. Common Pantry kicked off construction today for their new 3,500-square-foot facility. The building, located on 39th and North Lincoln Avenue, will be the first to be owned by the business in its 56-year history. It will be equipped with a free grocery store and facilities for its weekly hot lunch program. 
A new study has found that the Midwest is home to the country's fastest and slowest talkers. America's fastest talker is from Minnesota, and our slowest talker is from Peoria, right here in Illinois. Universities across the country are announcing bans on popular social media app TikTok. Most recently, they're restricting access to the platform on campus Wi-Fi. This comes after at least 30 states have issued varying bans on the app, as well as Congress restricting access on government-owned devices. Newly released body camera footage today details law enforcement's response to the attack on former, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. Other evidence released includes images from Capitol Police cameras and a recording from the suspect's police interview. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other news stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Sarah Cadora, and our reporters are Sarah Cadora, John Ferrara, Michelle Huang, Helen Bradshaw, and Nick Song. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Brandon Condritz. Catch our next newscast on Monday, January 30th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.